You're listening to Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. That's me, your naturally platinum blonde pop culture connoisseur. I'm the reality TV junkie, self-improvement addict, and host with only the hottest tea spilled fresh weekly. For more hot takes, go and give me a follow at Just Plain Zach. I always keep it funny and I always keep it cute. And if you're like me and you want to stay up to date with the latest reality tea, just go and give us a follow at No Filter with Zach on the Instagram. I hope you have snagged some fizzy housewives inspired rose for yourself packing a punch at 14% alcohol by volume but less than a gram of sugar it's my no filter wine my no filter rosé that I crafted perfectly with my pals at Elix it's available at nofilterwine.com we have four fun OG designs from Beverly Hill Real Housewives of Beverly Hills Real Housewives of Atlanta New Jersey and New York get them while you can because like I said, we're going to be redesigning soon and launching a fizzy white wine. So stock up at nofilterwine.com. Go to nofilterwine.com and stock up today. All right, today we're diving back into the Girardi scandal. As you know, a lot of names have been brought to the forefront, but one of the, the biggest players in this entire system that I've been like, we really need to look at this a lot more is the California State Bar. So today we're breaking down the California State Bar, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the Girardi. Today's guest has spent over 18 years as a state prosecutor, now working as a licensing professional and state bar defense attorney in California. Please welcome Aaron Joyce. Thank you so much, Zach. I appreciate you inviting me to your program. I I mean, I you came through great referral, and I've heard so many wonderful things about your, your, your website. Your resume is very extensive, so I have so many questions, especially as it relates to this whole Girardi embezzlement scandal. But before we dive into everything, can you please just start by explaining what your relationship is with the California State Bar Association? not an association. The California State Bar is the licensing agency for attorneys. You have to be a licensee in order to practice law in California, at least right now. And that's not necessarily going to stay that way because that's something that's up in the air right this minute. Um, But up until 2018, the California State Bar was one of the last remaining what they call unified bars, meaning the trade organization part of the bar which you would call an association, was connected with licensing discipline. But for many, many reasons, which are way past what we're talking about here today, the state bar in 2018 separated. And so now there is the California Lawyers Association, which is the trade organization, which can and rightly does lobby in Sacramento for you know, access to justice and lawyer-related issues. And then you have what's left, which is called the state bar, which is admissions and discipline. But as part of the mission statement of bar, it includes the following. It includes promoting access to justice and diversity in the profession. And it's on those other two prongs that the state bar basically diverts from the primary mission, which is to protect the public with respect to attorney licensing and discipline, and instead is spending substantial amount of resources on pet projects such as access to justice. Mm. And that's the big issue in the legal profession right now. And honestly, it's being part of why, I'll tell you this, they they determined that we 
we're going to be better off having a deunified bar, meaning a separate discipline admissions from the trade organization, was so that the state bar would stay on its primary aim, which is to protect the public against attorney misconduct. That hasn't happened. Which we're now seeing is becoming this big scandal. I mean, we've now taken the blue light on the system and seen how many stains are there and how much we need to clean up the system. So what's your relationship to the state bar? I'm a former state bar prosecutor. In fact, I was the last hire before Governor Pete Wilson vetoed the fee bill back in the late 1990s. And the reason why Pete Wilson vetoed the fee bill then, at least his announced reason, was because of the politicization the state bar. The, the um, Jenny Commission, which is the um, commission of the state bar, which um, passes on judicial candidates, found every one of his candidates unqualified. And he really, really did not like the Conference of Delegates. And the Conference of Delegates at that time was basically a political organization, which would set the lobbying agenda for the state bar. And a lot of it was very much, a po- very, very um, political and very partisan. And so you can imagine Pete Wilson was not thrilled. And the state bar was basically cut down to a skeleton staff in the late 90s. And many, 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 many thousands of complaints piled up until the Supreme Court stepped in because the state bar is supposed to be the disciplinary arm of the Supreme Court. So they, they commissioned Justice Louis to do an um, investigation to determine what is the le- minimum level of bar dues at that time, because we were members as lawyers at that point, um, and that would fund the discipline system, the primary purpose of the state bar, which is admissions to make sure we have minimum competency for those that are going to hold themselves out as being able to practice law, and those people that are licensed to make sure that they are helping the public and not affecting the public adversely, meaning protecting the public. That has always been the primary mission. And that was part of why Pete Wilson vetoed the fee bill way back when. So I was at the state bar about eight months before the big shutdown in 1998. I came back and I was there almost 19 years. And pretty much that entire time I was there, this issue about the politicization of the state bar was the main issue. And they, the, the answer was deunification. And I can tell you that certainly has not been the solution. What the deunification has done is allowed other interests, other stakeholders, other than those that are interested in your right to jury trial as a litigant um, to take over. And that is big tech. That that is the um, interest that now run pretty much the agenda of the state bar. And they're using as their cloak, this idea of access to justice. So they want the people that can't afford lawyers to not have competent legal counsel in general. So that they can keep them below and, and and maintain in power and control of the system. I would say that's that's a very accurate. How familiar are you with the Girardi embezzlement scandal? I mean, I've read everything from the expose in the LA Times and all of the other articles that have come out subsequent to that. And I would tell you, I think they got it wrong in general. I mean, the big picture is probably correct. Meaning, if an attorney has multiple complaints for having missing money from settlements. It would be surprising that those all got closed. I would tell you this, the answer that the state bar is putting out, which is that, oh, and this is true. The state bar board of trustees in October just approved random audits of attorney trust accounts. 
And these are not going to be random in the sense that it's going to affect all lawyers. They're going to be targeted based on this um, supposed risk analysis to target lawyers that provide services to individuals, not companies, not the big wigs, but basically the hardworking lawyers that are eking out in existence. Right. And they are using their own failures in the Girardi case as the rationale to allow and authorize these random audits. Now, think about this. Random audits, meaning there's, is there no complaint? Now, if you were doing all your work and you're protecting the public and you have an, some kind of handle on the backlog of cases in your office, then maybe you can start considering taking on extra work where there's no client complaint. But that's not where we're at. Zach, where we're at is that every year, the state auditor has to do a report and investigation of the state bar's numbers. And every year by statute, the state bar has to, as of December 31st, report its backlog and other statutorily mandated numbers. Their backlog from 2015 to 2019, according to the state auditor's report, increased almost 90%. That means the number of cases from clients who are complaining against attorneys has gone up 87 plus percent and their case handling time during the investigation process more than doubled, more than doubled. So they are not taking care of their primary mission, which is to protect the public against attorney misconduct. They're allowing these complaints to pile up. They're not taking care of their backlog. They're not triaging cases by most serious or oldest, or it's and probably, and as a, someone that right now I've been practicing state bar discipline defense now since I've been on my own for almost three years, I can tell you those numbers are piling up. I get letters on a complaint that issued in 2019. And how do I know that? Because the case number has 19 0. So they're investigating two plus year old cases right now. So they're not taking care of their primary mission. And instead, they want to like have the, like everyone look at the bright, shiny object. Instead of looking at their failures, the right. internal failures at the very highest levels of the state bar that allowed, you know, rampant misappropriation of client funds from settlements. Instead of investigating complaints that came in from clients who said they didn't get their money, now they want to do random audits, which is going to cost a substantial amount of money that basically comes from a budget that already isn't properly funding the discipline system as it is. So, and who are the interests that are interested in this? I really honestly believe big, big tech are the ones that control the state bar now. People that don't care about your right to a jury trial. So what is that regulatory system for lawyers? Like how would, like, let, how would somebody like Tom Girardi get reported, so to speak? Okay, let's imagine you had a case with Tom Girardi. Okay, I can tell you right now, I did not handle any cases involving Tom Girardi. And guess what? As a line deputy counsel and then later senior trial counsel in the Office of Chief Trial Counsel, which is the prosecutorial arm of the state bar, I can tell you most, if not all, of the complaints against an attorney with a level of Tom Girardi would not be investigated by the Office of Chief Trial Counsel. And why is that? I'll tell you why. Because if an attorney being investigated has some connection to the bar, either they've been on a standing committee of the bar or their partner, such as Mr. Girardi, was a former state bar president, Mr. Miller, Office of Chief Trial Counsel doesn't do the investigation because there's a 
an appearance of potential yeah. impropriety, right? Wow, this person's connected to the bar. So we need to make sure it's not investigated internally. Right. So what they have, and they've had this for years, decades, it's called a special deputy trial counsel. The special deputy trial counsel is an outside lawyer that's deputized through the executive director's office to do the investigation and if warranted to file charges. Who controlled through the entire time of this Girardi debacle, which I understand there were up to 50 complaints. That's what I read yeah. over a period of years, not just a couple of years, like many years. Yeah. The executive director or the deputy executive director of the state bar was Robert Hawley. Robert Hawley controlled. He's the one that made the assignments of the special deputy trial counsel. So if a case was improperly investigated and not filed, that would not be something that would say anything about how the procedures are done in office of chief trial counsel, which I can say there's a lot of problems with the way the current prosecutorial office is determining when to prosecute, when to investigate. They're not maintaining their backlog, meaning they're, they're allowing cases to pile up and they're not taking care of real client complaints. But that all of those problems have nothing to do with what happened with Mr. Girardi because Mr. Girardi would have been assigned out to special deputy trial counsel. Wow. Have you heard that? So, and that's not by the line deputy. That's not by the line investigator. And even in the days up until I think 2019 is when they adopted a new computer system. But before that, since the eighties, they had a system called AS 400. Every complaint that comes into the state bar from a client or anywhere would come through intake. It's assigned a number. Just like I told you, I could tell by the number 19-0, that's an original case coming from the outside. And it came in in 2019. And whatever the number is, that tells you about when in the year it happened. Because if it's like 00072, 72nd or 72nd complaint that came in for the year, that's January. But if it's like much of a higher number, you can kind of tell where it is in the year. Right. Because while the number of complaints have gone up, it's about 16,000 complaints a year. So that's how you can kind of gauge when the complaint came in. So these complaints against Girardi were, would have been primarily, if not exclusively handled through the, the special deputy trial counsel, through who is not an employee of the state bar. Got it. So just so I understand. So somebody like Tom Girardi, who may have a potential conflict of interest because of his relationships to the state bar, would have to be investigated by a third party who would, so it wouldn't necessarily fall in the backlog that's taking place at the state bar because they would have to bring somebody else in to investigate it. So then how is it that we went 50, I mean, around 50 complaints that were never addressed? Well, I would imagine that if you don't want complaints to be investigated, you would give them to a special deputy trial counsel that doesn't investigate the complaints. That's what I would say. So who are, they, that, trying to, who are they trying to pass the buck on to right now? Because the state bar, I mean, they're just like, oh, we're so backlogged that we didn't have an opportunity to catch up. I mean, backlogged on, I mean, when a lawyer has 50 complaints against him, I would feel like that should at some point be filtered to the level of priority. But how, what is the, the excuse that they're giving as to why it got so out of hand with Girardi? They aren't. I'm telling you, instead of responding to the failures that must have taken place in this, in these cases, because basically, this is the way it works. If you're an attorney and you take a settlement in, you have to have your settle, you have to have your trust account in California because every California financial institution, the state bar can get your records. And so if you've got, let's say, a settlement for 100000 
It goes into the trust account. And then the attorney takes their fees, 40%, $40,000. That means you have to have $60,000 in that trust account until the client's paid. So all the medical bills and then the 60, you know, all the medical bills, which however they get paid out and the client all have to equal 60,000. So if at any time that trust account balance goes under 60,000 before the medical liens and the client are paid, you have a dip in the account. That is how the state bar proves misappropriation. They don't have to prove that you went to Vegas, although I've had cases where the attorney literally starts writing checks out of his trust account to Morongo. That's always going to be misappropriation, right? Right. Um, right. So, but, so this is not hard to prove misappropriation if there, you know, if there's dips in an account. The problem is if you have a trust account that has a lot, a lot, a lot of money on it, because you're a very busy personal injury law firm, you have a really high balance. So it never dips. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't go down below because you have other clients' money in that account at the same time. So that in those kind of situations, it does make sense to bring in more of a um, professional that can, a forensic accountant may be necessary. But that's the rare exception. That is not the rule. And so this rationale of how they were unable to figure out all these dips in Girardi's cases, which by the way, if the client never got their money, how hard is that to prove? Right. The client, you don't have a check showing the client was paid. Right. This doesn't take the forensic accounting. So the fact in all the complaints weren't related just to dips. There was also a very serious um, referral of the Dole banana case yeah. by the federal court for misconduct. Those were findings. Yeah. Those would definitely have been sent out to special deputy trial counsel because that, at that point, there were um, members of his firm that were very well connected at the state bar and not at the line deputy or investigator level, but at the executive director's office level. That's what we're talking about. So I, that's why I think they got it wrong to try to say some investigator had some in and was able to deep six complaints or something. Mr. Layton, that is totally false. Tom Layton could never have been assigned to any of the Girardi cases, I would imagine, because they wouldn't have been in office of chief trial counsel at all at so, the time he was an investigator. So for them to try to palm it off on Tom Layton and not look at their own problems that are systemic with the fact that people that are very politically connected get favors at the state bar. And it's not at the intake level. It's not at the trial counsel level. It's at the higher levels, management levels. So Tom Layton has been brought up in a number of LA Times articles and it, they're trying to, and it's interesting, Aaron, because I've talked to several different attorneys and they all seem to um, echo your sentiment of saying that Tom Latin or Tom Layton looks like he's the scapegoat here where they're trying to make him the fall guy. But can you explain what his role was at the, at the state bar and um, and why he wouldn't be the person, I guess you explained why he wouldn't be the person to investigate it, but can you explain what his role was at the state bar? Well, well I was working at the state bar earlier, you know, for most of the time I was there, he was an investigator in office of chief trial counsel. That means he was assigned to a fresh investigation or whatever, an investigation to complete the, either the closing memorandum, you know, investigate it to write, write a closing memorandum or an investigative report which has to be approved by a trial counsel before it goes forward for prosecution. So he had a caseload as an investigator. At the time, a new executive director came in, Joe Dunn, which I'm sure you've heard of Mr. Dunn. Mm -hmm. 
Mr. Dunn elevated Tom Layton into some kind of, um, I guess, some public relations type of, of position in executive director's office. Executive director's office is not supposed to have anything to do with um, prosecutorial discretion, which is vested in the office of chief trial counsel and the chief trial counsel. So Joe Dunn is not, as, as the executive director, did not make determinations on which cases to prosecute and which not. And nor did anyone in his staff have that kind of power. That's, it, that, that's vested with the chief trial counsel. And while Joe Dunn was the executive director, an attorney, Jane Kim, who had been a former attorney in office of chief trial counsel, had gone and left to go to the U.S. attorney's office. She came back and became the chief trial counsel several months into, or I guess eight months or so into Joe Dunn's um, time that he was at the bar before he left. So the chief trial counsel who had been, would have been vested with all prosecutorial discretion would have been Jane Kim. So do you think that this was really just a flawed system or does it appear that, you know, it was people who knew how to work the system who are taking advantage of the loopholes that they had accessible to them? I think the system has a lot of problems. Right now, the way the state bar is working, and you could tell this by looking at the numbers out of the latest state auditor's report, and there will be another auditor's report coming out in April because it comes out every spring. They're never good, but it's probably the worst one that came out last year. Every, all of the reforms that were put in place as of 2015. Now, in 2015, that was like when all of the, everything held broke loose. That's when you have Joe Dunn saying they're going to get to zero backlog because there was such a high backlog. Now, that so it was not a good situation in 2015. Think about it. They had to like reform everything in 2015 because things were so horrible. Right. They've only almost doubled by now. So they're much worse than they were in 2015. So everything that the Office of Chief Trial Counsel has done to try to resolve the problems that they were facing in 2015 have been literally going the wrong direction. Taking away discretion from the line deputy, um, basically decisions are made by committee at a management level, people that never look at the file, never assess any of the witnesses or any of the evidence, and force cases to trial now where the State Bar Office of Chief Trial Counsel has lost more cases since 2015 than they probably had in the previous 25. Seriously, that's not an overstatement at all. And by the way, that's not a stat you're going to see in the, um, in the state auditors. Oh, in the auditor's report, you will see it, but they don't report that as part of their, um, part of their discipline analysis. They don't want to show you how they, 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 what they call the hard cases are the cases that lack evidence. The State Bar Office of Chief Trial Counsel has a burden of proof of clear and convincing evidence of misconduct. And instead of assessing evidence and determining whether or not they have the evidence, instead they're pushing cases forward to trial. And who do they push cases against? Not, not people like Tom Girardi with many, many serious complaints. They go after the little guys, solo and small firm lawyers. Yeah. That's what they do. And highly, and actually, this is something you should look into. There was a report recently, I think 2019, about how there's a disparate treatment of minorities in the discipline system. Black male lawyers are disbarred at three times the rate of their percentage of 
the um, profession. Wow. There's major bias implicit in the way that the state bar operates. Wow. So somebody like Tom Girardi wouldn't have been held accountable. And probably the only reason he is being reprimanded now is because his wife was on a reality show and it brought a lot of attention to them and their, you know, in his practice. Well, I mean, the, the precipitous, I think that the, at a certain point, you don't, you can't keep borrowing. And my understanding is that um, what really happened was the case, the Lion Air case in Chicago, the court wasn't going to be taking any more. Why isn't these people, why aren't these people paid? Right. Now, what's really important to know about that case is that's a, um, that was an act, that was a um, plane crash that happened outside the United States. But if you're going to be having any clients in California and you're having using any California court as a lawyer, you're a California lawyer, you have to use that California trust account. That's not, that was not a trust account in California. So that's just, that's not the only problem, obviously, because there was no money in any of the trust accounts to pay those people. So at a certain point, that's when the piper has to be paid. And now everything just cascades and you get pulled into involuntary bankruptcy. Have you followed the bankruptcy at all? That's another mess. What I would say is this. The state bar never filed charges against Tom Girardi until he was already found by a superior court in California, LA Superior Court, to be incompetent. He was under a conservatorship. The state bar cannot, based on the rules of procedure, pursue someone who's legally incompetent. So I'd like to see how that happened. I have not investigated, but I do understand that they now have a um, disbarment recommendation. But someone who's incompetent doesn't have to respond to a notice of disciplinary charges because you're incompetent legally. You can't you can't even respond. Which is interesting because he had done a an interview with um, Daniel Farazan, who's the one that introduced us a couple of months or right before. Erica filed for divorce right before the scandal really broke and people started to look into him. And if you go back and watch that interview, which is available on YouTube, it he seems pretty competent. He seems pretty with it. So I was really surprised at how quickly he received a diagnosis of Alzheimer's and dementia and how quickly he was put under conservatorship and you know declared mentally incompetent. Well, you may know that the state bar went in without standing to argue in the L.A. Superior Court probate court to try to reverse the temporary conservatorship findings because they, they even argued through general counsel of the state bar that we can't pursue discipline against right. this attorney if he's found incompetent. They were found to lack standing by the court and the court entered the conservatorship and still the state bar filed charges. So I think the most important thing now, obviously, when some clients, many clients are missing money, that is horrible. But the process, if the state bar doesn't follow process, and they don't, this is a great case to show that almost at every turn, the state bar has grandstanded. They're filing charges against someone who's been legal, found legally incompetent. They, they're not following any of the rules of procedure or process. So if due process is not afforded to California litigants or attorneys, then what does that say for the state bar? Do you think that it's intentional? To oh, not I absolutely think it's intentional. They're trying to like, the, the barn door has been open <laughs> and, and now they're going to try to backfill something against Mr. Girardi when 
the truth is you don't have a legal standing to do that because under business and professions code 6007, not to get into the details, you can't pursue someone who's not, he was already enrolled medically inactive. So you don't think there will be, I mean, we didn't even see his license get taken away. Didn't he voluntarily withdraw it because he was under conservatorship and wasn't able to practice law anymore? It's not voluntary. I mean, if you are conserved, you don't have the mental competence to practice law. You can't even do anything really. Just, I mean, a dependent adult has very limited right. ability to do anything. You certainly can't practice law as a dependent adult. So that is why I think it was February 9th um, there was the enrollment inactive because it's a medical inactive and that is confidential to grounds. So you can't get those filings, but that's what, that is what, that is what would have precipitated that inactive enrollment. So, conservatorship. What, so it wasn't through disciplinary acts. It was through no. the conservatorship. Yeah. Right. And yet they still filed charges after that. So, and they know they do, they know, meaning the state bar absolutely knows they're not following process. Because just a few weeks before that, they had argued in L.A. Superior Court how they cannot, if, if the court keeps the conservatorship in place, the state bar can't file disciplinary charges against the attorney. And that's not the only reason why. The actual statutes are very clear. So yet they still did. So what is that about? And by the this is well after all the clients, you know, complaints over the years have been ignored. One of the charges, that's really funny, actually, in a kind of a black humor way. One of the charges on this latest notice of disciplinary charges is Mr. Girardi's failing to respond to the complaint after he was conserved. Oh my gosh. Seriously, can't make this stuff up. So then is it, so then could the tactic now be to go after the other lawyers at the firm? I know like David Lira um, and Keith Griffin were actively worked on, I believe, the Lion Air case, and they're being brought in for questioning. The bookkeeper also being brought in for questioning. Like, are they likely to be held accountable now? Well, I mean, if someone is missing, if there's lots and lots and lots of money missing, I mean, that's a criminal act. Right. People's bar licenses are secondary when you have to deal with liberty issues. I don't know. I have nothing to do with those cases. But the fact is, my understanding is that that firm was operated as a um, sole proprietorship, even though it had two names on it. Right. So I don't know that anybody else had access to the, the books. I don't know. Well, wouldn't the bookkeeper have access to the books? And could the bookkeeper be charged criminally for not reporting Tom or for pot. I mean, I would assume the bookkeeper was able, was tracking where the money was going. I don't have any understanding of that at all. I have no idea. I mean, I I don't know who the bookkeeper was. I mean, imagine if you're trying to like hide missing money, you probably have very few people know all the details. So that's what I would think. Yeah. I mean, that would make sense. What do you think about his wife, Erica? She's come under fire a lot, and people think that she should be responsible for paying off some of his debts. Well, I mean, it's a community property state. So that means you don't just share in community property, you also share in community debts. But, what if- but I'm not a family law lawyer, so I could just say that that is, that is probably true. I mean, the community assets can be used to pay the you know, restitution owed to um, victims of Mr. Girardi, I would imagine. But wouldn't their community property be their personal property, not the property of his business? Now, 
if you have a corporation, there's some kind of legal fiction that it's a separate entity. That's not the case when it's a sole proprietorship. Because he's then the sole person responsible for the business, correct? It's not even like a real, an act, is, I mean, a sole proprietor, would you consider that an actual business? Or is it just? It is. Okay. Most lawyers don't operate as a professional law corporation. Most lawyers, if they're solo or small firms, I would say operate as a sole proprietorship. And what do you think of him not having any insurance for the law firm? In California, there's not an obligation to maintain errors and omissions insurance. Right. However, the contract with the client has to stay. And if, and if you don't have that in your fee agreement, that could be lead to misconduct. You know, that could lead to discipline. But if you're already stealing money, think about it. I mean, it's a little... The fact that someone technically doesn't have, oh, I, I don't care, errors and omissions insurance in the contract is a low-level discipline. If someone is stealing tens or thousands of dollars from clients, that's a disbarment already. See what I'm saying? So why, it wouldn't, if you're already stealing money, if that's true, then I don't think the niceties about having some you know, special language in your trust account or not in your trust account in your engagement agreement is going to make a big deal. Right. That's what I would think. Now, we did see that, I mean, he was making active donations to the bar. Um, he had a lot of connections to judges. He was very generously donating to Governor Gavin Newsom's campaigns over the years. Gavin Newsom, like, widely endorsed Tom and Erica on television. Could those connections also be related to, you know, the way he was seemingly protected over the years? I mean, I don't know. But, I mean, I can say if someone ha is very politically connected, at the higher levels of the state bar, that obviously makes decisions at a very high level. Like the decision on where to place special deputy trial counsel case investigations is not made by an investigator in the office of chief trial counsel like a Tom Layton. It's not made by anyone that's not a high level management decision. So high level managers at the state bar would be the ones that could make, would be affected by those kind of connections not the average employee who's just trying to do their job and right. trying to protect the public. How do you envision this all shakes out for Girardi? I mean, he's in, he's in an assisted living facility now. His wife's still on television. The, the other lawyers, the bookkeeper at Girardi Keys, they're all kind of pleading the fifth and saying they didn't know anything and they're not answering any questions when they're being brought in for questioning. Where do you think this case goes? Is there any solution for the clients? The client security fund of the state bar will up to $100,000 um, reimburse clients. for um, Basically, the, the whole purpose of the client security fund is to reimburse clients for, client, for um, attorney misconduct, like theft. Right. Not generally like if, you, if someone like botches your case and then you don't get as much money as you should have or just kind of legal malpractice. That's not what the client security fund is for. The classic use of the client security fund claims are to pay back Stolen. clients who have been harmed by attorney misconduct, like theft. So if there are clients that did not get their money from these settlements, then up to $100,000 each could be reimbursed through client security fund. And, and the client security fund is paid by, is funded by all the lawyers paying a special amount of money in every year as part of their licensing fees. Got it. So, but that's only... The, it, so they only get up to $100,000 if they're awarded that. But we're looking at Girardi's, you know, the debt, I think, is estimated right now at $51 million. 
I don't know. But I mean, each individual client only can get up to $100,000 yeah. from the client security fund. That's what it's for. I mean, it would be, it would bankrupt the client security fund to try to pay back. Right. And it's only clients, by the way. If it, it's not clients that are related to you, so it can't be like your son or your right. um, other relation. Um, some people try to make client security fund claims that were uh, employees that didn't get paid, things like that. They're not covered. It's clients that are hurt by attorney misconduct. So that could be a solution for people, for former clients that didn't get paid to pursue is to take action with the bar and, and try to get at least that some get money from them. I would think, yes. And yeah. I'm sure the, I'm certain that the client security fund would be interested in um, wanting to, because that's exactly what the client security fund is for when people are missing money from settlements. That's the classic type of client security fund claim. Right now we have the 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 trustee that's working with the Girardi Keys books that's trying to get money in from, I guess, current outstanding uh, cases that were never settled, that they're trying to settle to bring money into the law firm. They're trying to collect debts. They're going after his wife for money that um, he transferred over to her. So, I mean, it looks like there are options on the table for some of their clients, but I think pursuing the state bar and, and, and going and taking that course of action could at least provide some support for them in the short term, right? Well, Rather than waiting for the investigation. Okay. The client security fund is not a quick process. Okay. They also have a major backlog. Ah. So the, I, I honestly... If I've had clients um, where, you know, help them with the state bar complaint. And I've always told them by the time the money comes in, you'll have forgotten that you're entitled to it because it takes years, not, not months. Okay. So regardless, no clients are looking to get payouts anytime soon. None of the former clients that are. Well, they will. But I mean, if there's, if there's missing money from a settlement, you will eventually get your money up to the hundred thousand dollars, but it doesn't, it's not, a quick it's not process. an easy or quick process. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't, I mean, the fact that there are options for them makes me feel somewhat good about it. But I mean, I think the bigger issue is it's bigger than Tom Girardi. It's the system that's in place that isn't functioning properly or serving the clients or serving the system here in California to actually help people fight lawyers like Girardi. I agree with that. And this is the thing I think that people are losing sight of. Why do people go to a lawyer in the first place? Lawyers are problem solvers. If people could just call the insurance company and get a decent settlement on their own, you wouldn't ever call a lawyer, but that doesn't happen. So you need an advocate, a problem solver, and that's why clients go see lawyers. And that's why it's such a special confidential relationship where you're able to seek lawyers help so that you can assess all of your options. If you get injured in an accident, if you're facing criminal charges, if you're potentially going to lose your children, these are very serious fundamental matters for people. And that's why they go seek a problem solver that has that expertise. And unfortunately, the way the state bar is going now, again, because it's been basically co-opted by legal tech um, who wants to allow like computer platforms to provide legal services directly to the public and cut out lawyers as though they're the problem and not the problem solver, that's going to create a, even a larger divergence between the, you know, large companies that can afford a thousand to $1,300 an hour without batting an eye to get competent legal advice. Whereas 
the person who was fighting the big corporation will be stuck with, if the state bar has their way, just some paraprofessional with um, a curriculum embedded in an AA program in community college. And would you want to be trusting if you're going to have get to see your kids on someone like that, no. with that limited experience? No. So is there, what can we do as, you know, lay people to help fight this, you know, overtake of big tech and, you know, kind of continue to, to support these smaller lawyers that are actively fighting for their clients with good intentions. Right. And that is the vast majority of lawyers. By the right. Way. Yeah. The number of lawyers that are into the discipline system is just a tiny fraction, just like you would imagine in the population in general, only a few people ever get into the criminal justice system, even smaller percentage of lawyers from the made, you know, over 200,000 active lawyers in California. Clients, we have spent, you know, the last 50 years getting all these consumer protections for clients and the rules of professional conduct are there not to protect the lawyers, but to protect the clients so that your confidences have to be maintained by the attorney. In California, you can tell your attorney anything and absent you saying to your lawyer something like, I'm going to go shoot her, you know, because it's a horrible family law case, um, except those kind of very, really extreme circumstances, everything you tell your lawyer is going to be confidential in California, right. even more than in other states, by the way, because we so highly protect client confidences, because how can you go see a lawyer if you can't tell them everything true? Because right. you're afraid if you won't tell them something through a filter that it might come back and get you. These are really important things. And so the little guy is going to be the one trampled on a lot of the new in, in, um, initiatives at the state bar. And it's the little guy. It's the, it's the person that has to call the state bar because they can't get a return phone call from their client. Those are the ones whose complaint two years. So the state bar should be held to task for not maintaining its main mission, its primary aim, which is to protect the public right. and properly highly investigate attorney misconduct complaints. That's what it should be doing, not all these other things, especially once they've proven in the last five years they've done nothing but do it wrong. Why do they want to take on a whole new area? Right. Doesn't make Empire sense. building as they're thinking. What, I mean, is there something that we can do to help rectify that system? Or is it really just, I mean, what, I mean, what, what is the solution to helping prevent more Girardi style uh, attorneys taking advantage of clients. I think that the state bar um, office of chief trial counsel should be held accountable for your actual results that all of these, you know, all of the alibis of the last, you know, five years since 2015, why they haven't done things right. They need to be, they actually are right now under not just the ordinary audit of the state bar um, or the state auditors, but there also is an ad hoc committee going right now, which is investigating the efficacy of OCTC's investigative process and why they overcharge routinely lawyers and they end up not getting good results at trial. That is something I think that should be, um, I guess a spotlight should be put on that because why is it that they over prosecute the small lawyer right. and make it harder and harder to like give legal services that are going to be cost-effective to the public. And meanwhile, um, the big wigs are getting away with things. Right. 
it's a wild system. And I think they're, I mean, we definitely need to be looking into it a lot more. Because the way that they're taking advantage of the lawyers, the clients, the, I just, once I started diving into this whole Girardi stuff, I didn't even realize how messy our legal system was here in California. And it's unfortunate because then you see clients like Girardi's or you see attorneys like Girardi taking advantage using their influence to continue to position themselves as this, you know, accredited lawyer here in California on the cover of all of these magazines and getting awarded all of these, you know, awards and getting the glory on television without actually serving the clients that deserve that. I'm not saying that that is wrong, but Mr. Girardi is for better or worse that whatever he did is done. Yeah. I think going forward, the system has to be, has right. to be fixed so that California clients are protected. And and the direction of the state bar's office of chief trial counsel is not in the right direction right now. Is, their, their numbers show it. It's going the wrong direction. Is there something that somebody like me with the platform or even people listening to this right now, is there anything that we can do to help contribute to that solution? I think being mindful of what's going on. The public comment period for this latest initiative about the paraprofessional working group just closed last last week on the 12th. But I, I don't think it's, I think you should stay on top of the changes that the bar wants to be making that are going to be diverting more of their resources away from the discipline system, away from investigating, you know, current complaints against clients um, that clients are bringing against lawyers. And um, that is the way to like try to make them accountable. And is there a, something that we could even vote for or vote against in our California elections that would also help with that solution? Well, in addition to the um, trying within the state bar to allow um, non-lawyers basically to practice law and own law firms, oh, yeah. the other thing that's big for this year is that they want to limit um, contingency fees to only 20%, saying that, oh, this is somehow going to protect the public because now in your award of 100,000, instead of having to wear from 40%, which is the typical contingency fee, right. 40%, it'll now be only $20,000. But they're not telling you is that the defense on that case that would have netted $100,000, that attorney's getting paid hourly, and that attorney's getting paid you know, in their law firm $1,000 to $1,300 or more per hour, right? So, so the defense never gets limited. And a contingent, the whole reason why California allows contingency fees in the first place is why. It's because the little guy can't fund a case on an hourly basis, right. paying a lawyer hourly on a valuable case. And so they'll lose out on a valuable rights if they can't pursue their case. And that's the whole reason way back when, well before each one of us, you know, were an adult, um, there was an argument about whether we should allow contingency fees at all. And that's why it came down the way it did, is to allow clients to exercise their rights, which they otherwise could not do because no lawyer would be able to take the case at the amount of money that they could pay. And so the client and the lawyer are sharing in the risk. And then the attorney gets paid if he gets good results and then he gets a percentage. So if you artificially limit those results, meanwhile, the cost of litigation is getting higher and higher. I know attorneys that, uh, and this is true, an actual case, if the attorney spent more than 
half a million dollars of his own money with six experts, with all the trial prep. You know, I'm not talking about his time. I'm talking about, you know, getting all of the depositions that are recorded into a position that you could use it at trial, all the, um, the witness preparation people, all of the, you know, being out of, you know, having to be living for 15 days and having a war room right next to the court, almost $500,000 of his money to get through that trial. And then guess what? That's how the client got almost $4 million verdict from a jury after 15 days of trial. How many people, do you think that attorney, that, that client could have afforded that on an hourly basis? No. Absolutely not. No way. And if the attorney was limited to 20%, would he put all that money at risk? It basically is going to not, it's going to be undermine public protection because a lot of these lawyers aren't going to be able to have an economic basis to even bring a lot of these cases. So the client's rights are not going to be redressed at all. Right. Well, sure. You can call your insurance company yourself or the advice insurance company and see if you can get your own settlement. There's an expertise that lawyers have that people pay for because we're problem solvers. Right. And they have access and the knowledge of how the law works to be able that the the average person just doesn't have access to or knowledge of to be able to be successful in getting such a large settlement. Exactly. And so what's going to happen is like this whole initiative of uh, allowing paraprofessionals to like practice law. That means your case that could have been worth $100,000 with a competent lawyer, that paraprofessional is going to settle out for 10. And you're not, as, an, as the unsophisticated consumer of legal services, you're not even going to know how you were fleeced. Yeah. And who's going to make out the defense that didn't have to pay that $100,000? They only had to pay the 10. So everything that limits the client's right choice of counsel, and because um, no one has to enter contingency fee agreement. If you don't want to, you don't have to. But these initiatives are going to take that opportunity away from you. I mean, and it sounds good on the outside of saying, oh, well, the contingency fee goes down from 40% to 20%. On the outside, it sounds good. But when you actually break it down and see how this is going to affect the system at large, it really doesn't help vulnerable clients here in California. No, you're going to have fewer cases. Yeah. And people that are injured, it's not going to be fewer injured people, fewer damaged people. There'll just be fewer cases because lawyers won't have an, an economic incentive to bring your case forward. Right. Because if they're not doing this, it's a business, right? Right. They're, if there's no way to make money at it, then you can't do it. Right. And that's not wrong. And by the way, the defense is making plenty of money. They're doing just fine. This is not like some kind of leveling the playing field, which is going to reduce legal fees across the board. It's taking away your, your choice as a, basically individual consumer. And that's what they're trying to do with allowing this um, non-attorney ownership of law firms and allowing paraprofessionals to go out there and seek your case. Someone that has almost no experience, very limited experience. Even in, they, they think this is the true proposal. They want to have allow all family law to be handled by these paraprofessionals. Wow. Now, I personally think family law is a very serious area of law. Yeah. You, you at least for 18 years, you're determining whether or not that child and how much child support. You're going to be determining where the child's going to be residing. You're going to be making decisions about division of property, which gets very complicated. And all of this is going to be done by a paraprofessional. And the person who has money is going to have the real lawyer. Right. So it's going to create even more disparate treatment. 
it's crazy. Digesting it is is also tough. Aaron, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show today and chatting with me and breaking this down for everybody. And if there's anything that we can do, you know, like I said, if it's voting, if it's paying more attention, if it's bringing awareness, if it's bringing more, um, you know, bringing more to the forefront with, you know, the community here in California, I want to be part of that solution. Because like I said, once we looked at how messy this system is, and if these things do come forth, and we have more, you know, less lawyers practicing law and the contingency fees being reduced, these don't seem like they're helping the problem. It seems like if anything, they're just, you know, continuing to, to make it a, a challenging system for vulnerable clients. Absolutely. I agree. And that's what I would say that um, the big problem now is that since the bar is no longer a unified bar and that ship was sailed, mm. the interests that control the state bar are not the interests that care about the individual litigant getting their day in court. It's really unfortunate. Aaron, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Is there anything you would like people to know more about you or a website or, you know, any social media that you want to promote now is your opportunity to let people learn more about you and your practice? Great. Like I said, I started my practice in May 2019, almost three years ago, having been a bureaucrat for most of my career, as you know, as a state bar prosecutor. I now have two full-time lawyers working for me, Um, um, Raquel De La Rocha, who is a another former state bar prosecutor who has um, lectured extensively on ethics and was a professional responsibility professor at UCLA, where she also was in the general counsel's office. I also have Ken Davis, who was a former um, city prosecutor in San Diego, and he has both civil and criminal background. And then I'm very happy to have Robin Brune, another former state bar prosecutor, working with me on a part-time basis. So we are very happy to help Anyone that has any ethics issues, you can contact me at AaronJoyceLaw.com or um, through social media, just Aaron Joyce Law. I show up. I love it. Thank you so much, Aaron. I really appreciate it. Have a wonderful day, and I'm sure we'll be connecting again soon. Thank you so much, Zach. Bye-bye. Thank you guys for listening to Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. Thank you, Aaron. Guys, give Aaron your support and your love Aaron Joyce Law AaronJoyceLaw.com go and give her a follow she I think is leading the charge on helping to defeat some of the corruption at the state bar and within the state of California I think a lot of what we're paying a lot of attention to Tom we're paying a lot of attention to Erica but there's a much bigger system and a lot more powerful people at play here that we need to be looking at but thank you for listening to Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. I hope you learned a lot. If you did, share your thoughts with me in a comment below. If you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to hit that subscribe button. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or on Audible, please leave me a five-star review because I love that validation. You can give me a follow at Just Plain Zach to keep up with me. You can follow the show at No Filter with Zach on Instagram or you can... Be sure to subscribe on YouTube if you're listening to this. You can watch full episodes of the podcast at youtube.com slash Zach. And be sure to stock up on some housewives watching wine at nofilterwine.com. That's nofilterwine.com. All right, guys, I will talk to you later. Bye.